0: You've just tuned into Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Welcome back to Beyond Your Past. I'm your host, Matt Pappas, certified life coach specializing in overcoming anxiety and trauma recovery. And this podcast is all about helping you move forward from what holds you back. Each week, you'll hear from coaches, clinicians, and advocates who've overcome tremendous odds and are now using their journey to inspire you throughout yours. This is your place to feel validated and encouraged as you take your life back and live free from your past. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, greetings, my friend, and thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to tune into the show. And I hope that this episode inspires and encourages you on your own journey. Special welcome if you're listening to the podcast for the very first time. I hope that you'll enjoy it and perhaps consider checking out some other episodes as well. And for those of you who are regular listeners, you guys all rock. You're all amazing, and I always appreciate the support so much. A big thank you to my amazing sponsors, inlpcenter.org, offering world-class online neuro-linguistic programming and life coach training to people in over 70 countries. I'm honored to be able to receive my certifications from INLP Center and utilize their research and incredible training programs. And to daily recovery support, interactive daily group calls in a safe atmosphere for survivors of complex trauma, equipping you with the skills and information you can use every single day in your healing journey. Learn more about this affordable resource and get signed up at cptsdfoundation.org. If you find these podcasts helpful, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. That would be awesome. My guest today is international speaker and author Barbara Joy Hansen. I first met Barb back in the fall of 2016 when she contacted me to share her survivor story on surviving my past. And I'll be sure and link that post in the show notes. Since then, we've kept in contact over the years, and she has shared more of her story with me and the way she is using her experiences and her faith in working with other survivors, churches, prisons, and organizations to help shed light on the trauma of abuse and the power and hope of healing. Barb is the author of Listen to the Cry of a Child, a book that shines a light on the pain that victims of abuse carry with them throughout their lives and how she found a way to break free from that prison by confronting her past and embracing the light of her faith in God. During our chat, Barb shares more of her survivor story and the trauma she endured, including sexual, emotional, psychological, and spiritual abuse. She tells of the way she has been able to heal and now shares her story and her faith on TV, radio, and missions trips to help encourage other survivors to break free from the chains of past abuse and embrace the hope and healing that is possible. She tells about a recent humanitarian aid trip to the Philippines and what that experience was like, the people she met, the villages she visited, and how her message was received. It's always a good idea to issue a trigger warning during conversations like this, since we do discuss in some detail Barb's survivor experiences. So we'll cover all that and a lot more during my chat with Barbara Hansen, starting right now. So, hey, Barb, welcome to Beyond Your Past. It's great to finally have you on the show. How are you?
1: Hi, Matt. I'm good. Thank you. I'm so looking forward to this uh, podcast with you because I know it's going to help Even if it helps one person, it's going to help tremendously a lot of people that are still stuck.
0: Absolutely. And you and I connected years ago when you, um, uh, reached out to me and you put your, some, some of your story on surviving my past, which is still there. Um, uh-huh. that, that blog post gets a lot of traction. A lot of people read it. So that's how uh-huh. we connected several years ago, back in the earlier stages of, of surviving my past. And of course, now we are here on the podcast finally, and you've, um, been through so much of your life. Um, uh, not only in your past, but of course, uh, you know, more recently. And so before all we right. get started, though, with all of your story and what you want to share, why don't we take a minute? You can introduce yourself and tell people more about you.
1: Okay. I'm Barb, Barbara Hanson, Barbara Joy Hanson. My mother used to call me Bobby Joy. She said I was her Joy Bell. And um, I had a phenomenal godly home, strong morals, wonderful parents. You wouldn't have thought that these kind of things would have happened to me um, in my past, um, being raised in a pastor and a missionary's home. But they did, and they do. And I want to share a scripture verse, if I can, to begin with. And my daughter-in-law, knowing I was going to the Philippines as a humanitarian aid worker, gave me a necklace um, inscribed with this scripture verse um, by human traffickers that had made it. And I was by not only what it says, but by her gift to me, it says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all those who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And that is found in um, Philippians, or Proverbs 1, Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. And, um... I became very codependent because of my neediness, but helping others and speaking up for them at the expense of our own health brought me down that path. As a little child, I was violated by a grandfather who violated my cousins and me. My cousins told me behind the garage when I was about six or seven, and I knew in my gut that my mother had been hurt by him, traumatized by him as well. So, for 40 years, as a result of these very, very dark traumas from incest, created PTSD and a void in my soul. I've broken the generational curse with my voice, having experienced sexual, emotional, verbal, psychological, and spiritual abuse at a church we attended when I wrote my book, which created soul wounds not only by the grandfather, but clergy sex abuse by a youth pastor at a youth camp. And then I lost my virginity at around 17 by a college student when I said no. And, you know, that trauma traumatized me even more because I thought, is this really rape? But I had said no, and he came on to me. So early on in our marriage, pornography came in, infidelities led to the adoption of our first born son. I had a very hard time uh, conceiving uh, with PPD, which is postpartum depression. After the birth of our second son, we, had, we adopted and then five months later, I got pregnant and seven years later, another son. And it got worse with the second pregnancy, postpartum depression. So I was, I was all alone. I had no answers. I wanted to run away from it all, even though I loved being a mother. So Over an eight-year time period, I was emotionally enmeshed with a heroin sex addict. And the link that he and I had was sexual abuse, which my husband and he did not. And then we started in 1998 to around 2005, bringing hardened criminals, including this one, in and out of our home, in and out of prison, in and out of crack houses, helping them get into detox and drug treatment programs, thinking I could help them. I didn't know a thing about their world. Um, They detoxed from heroin before coming into our home, at least I thought they did, and I learned a lot about myself through these experiences, through these years. I believe that every woman's strengths put her in danger for domestic violence because they see us as this, you know, godly person, wonderful home, Christian husband, perfect marriage, but we're easy targets because we take care of and we have deep empathy and also because of my faith. So when we learn who we are and what happened to us and why, those strengths can become our purpose in helping others. So finally I had I turned a, te- a deaf ear to him when God got my attention and I realized that I was just as sick as he was. Having been raised in a pastor's home with little hope or help in my brokenness, I now recognize the lack of response on the part of churches with issues of violence. Many, many churches are, as you know, Matt, are stuck with this issue with pastors and youth pastors and people in the church um, violating victims, only 8% of religious leaders are equipped to help us. That's a small number. So long before Me Too and Church Too, my story has received international attention. My dad was a pastor and missionary with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which I know you know about. And do you know this was the very first denomination to recognize the need for victims to be heard and helped? In 1997, the Alliance faced tragic abuse allegations at the MAMA Alliance Academy in Guinea, West Africa during the 1950s to 1970s. A committee of discipline and restoration with an independent council was set up in 1998 to help many adult survivors who were tragically abused in many ways at that boarding school? What happened back then is parents would send their kids to this uh, missionary school to do their missionary work, and they would. There were no cell phones, no contact, uh, no emails, nothing. So for a period of many months and possibly years, these kids had no had no contact with their parents, so couldn't tell. And then in 1998. After watching Oprah on Confronting Family Secrets with my elderly mother, I began to realize that these secrets were destroying me and my inability to live free. So one day, as I was watching Oprah, Pandora's box was opened. I was watching it with my mother, and I wept as I told both my parents what her father did, my grandfather did to me as a very little girl, only to learn that she, too, had been violated. Then the following summer in 1999, my training ground and God given passion and purpose after years of enabling addictions came as a result of going back to the camp where I was violated by this 27 year old clergy at the age of 11 and 12. Now we have a summer cottage there and we go back every year, but because of the post traumatic stress disorder, which was so deep, I liken it to Swiss cheese. You have this trauma come down in your brain and drop down. And then another one. And the more trauma you go through um, creates invisible wounds and a numbness around that traumatic event. It could be a child hit by a car, you losing a spouse, divorce, child abuse, car accident, death, fire. If you've been re-exposed or hurt again, it goes deeper and more crippling and you become hostage to your past. So the house of cards began to fall as triggered service when I went back to the camp and saw one of my childhood friends I hadn't seen in 27 years. She was weeping as she came forward to the altar after a service, and we discovered that she, too, had been violated by the same pastor. So we both wrote letters to the Christian and Missionary Alliance headquarters in Colorado Springs, and we told them what happened to us. Now, just the year before, they had this sex abuse case set up. And then our case was set up by the Discipline and Restoration Committee with several pastors and a well-known psychologist who led four of us adult survivors, a couple of my best friends from childhood from this camp, to face the elderly youth pastor for what he had done in the 1950s. He was in complete denial And I faced and confronted, and I chose to forgive him. And I use that word very carefully in choosing to forgive because it's something that you just don't do and you can't do. He was charged with six severe psychological and emotional counts against me and the others, creating severe PTSD. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, Matt, but necessary to my restoration, closure, and healing. Just seven weeks later, I received a phone call from the head of the committee and was shocked to learn that this man that I had just faced seven weeks before fell down the stairs and broke his back and died.
0: Your story Barb is just incredible. And I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you. And, um, you know, I've had the privilege of, of, of knowing some of your story just because of us, mm-hmm. you know, conversing back and forth. And, you know, of course, you're writing for the blog before, but to hear you tell it like that. And it's always when you read an account, it's powerful. But when you hear somebody speak the words... Right. And and you know it just it becomes that much more tense, that much more uh powerful there's there's so much in this day and age with you know allegations in all denominations all over the world right now it's right. It's one of the biggest stories in the news almost every day it just it's as heartbreaking as it is you know every other emotion you can possibly imagine whether you've been directly affected or indirectly affected mm-hmm. just about everybody knows somebody or who are or has heard of somebody who has been affected by, um, you know, something similar to what you've been through. And so I want to, you know, give you as much time as you can to continue sharing your story. And if there's anything more that you want to share about this, please do. Otherwise we can kind of transition into a bit of your work in the Philippines and how that came about and how that trip actually went. So I'll leave that a bit up to you as to how you want to proceed with it. Okay.
1: I just want to say that after I, um I faced this man, uh this pastor. You know, God is going to be his judge. He will face God someday as we all will for our sins of our past if we hadn't if we haven't been forgiven by God through the Holy Spirit. So the shame and guilt was given back to him. And so after I faced him and he died, um on the way out of the room the um head of the committee said, "Boy, to him." You better listen to the cries of the child. And I thought, if I ever write a book, my book's going to be called Listen to the Cry of the Child. It was it was perfect. So after I came home, I started documenting it because I knew I wouldn't remember it. I, kn- I knew I had to write it all down, what I had just gone through, the trauma and the, the panic attacks. I had severe panic attacks. I think I rang up a $350 phone bill, which they paid, and they paid for our hotel. They flew me to Florida to face him and with the three other women. And I began to grieve and grieve and grieve as I wrote my memoir, Listen to the Cry of the Child. Now my ministry has gone international with my humanitarian aid work and my work with Beauty Out of Ashes Support Group. I help survivors work through their painful past. And that's another part of it. The answers are to write down journal, and I'm sure you tell people this too. We need support, and we need support from people that understand, that have walked through it, walked in our shoes, who understand. We need awareness, and we need to recall those memories. People say, no, I don't want to go back there. I'll never tell. But telling takes the Band-Aid off and the pus is released, so those strengths can become our passion and purpose in helping others. So that's what I do, I teach a support group, I send my material into prisons and um, my books into prisons. I speak in prisons, not only to victims, but sex offenders as well, with my uh, sermons being translated and I weave my story along in the sermon. So I just want to say that um, my husband and I are still together, amazingly miracle, after 53 years, years of marriage, working through my denial and helping him work through his from the devastation of his father's suicide, which created a wall between us and the death of our marriage, which God has now restored.
0: The dedication that comes with, with staying with someone and working through that and not just kind of just say, well, you know what, this is too hard. Again, yeah, that seems to be just what the easy thing to do is nowadays, but... You know, just a testament, again, to you guys um, staying together, to your faith, you. and to, you know, it's the, God, the really. desire to share your story. Yes, and, yeah. and to help other people, too. Right. And so, so tell us more about this this trip to the Philippines, because I know a little bit about it. But
1: Okay, so at this campground in New York State, um, Reverend Paul Barner and his Filipino wife, L.V., um, run the Father House Orphanage in the Philippines on San Miguel Island, and they built Barnard Christian Academy, where over 600 poor children are given an education at no cost. And they have people like ourselves give 40, uh, $30 a month, and, um, you know, the kid can get, the child can get their uh, pencils and pens and papers and all that. So Paul supported, uh, or he has church planted, 26 churches, and so after sharing lunch with them, after seeing their slides, and we, we've known them for years, my parents knew them as well, I invited them over to our cottage for lunch. I couldn't believe Pastor Paul's plea to me. He had received my book years ago and had read it. Barb, when can you come and bring your books and teaching materials to the Philippines, he said. There are no resources there for pastors or for me to help people. Little did I know that he's the one that needed me and many other pastors for things that they had gone through. And it was incredible for me to hear that and then go home and talk to what my husband and my book promoter and say, do, do you really think we really need to go? And it wasn't long before I responded back to him.
0: How was your message received with the people you were working with? Were they open to it? Were they shocked? Were they, I guess, basically, it's always interesting when you have something to share that um you know sometimes you, it, it's always interesting to see how people relate to it and how that message is received in a you know in a different culture to where you you know normally live in
1: well everybody everywhere was open to our message because there's no violence uh prevention they have no birth control people have large families they live in tin shacks that when it has the torrential t- typhoons which it rains every single day their tin shacks go down the mud into the into the rivers. So after arriving, uh, after little sleep and jet lag, I was scheduled this the following morning at 7 a.m. So we had to get up. I think I might have had four hours of sleep for a 7 o'clock um, Christian leadership breakfast with pastors and their wives. And so I spoke on abuse response and prevention in the church. I wanted to give awareness to pastors and what they could do to help help their people. And because pe- pastors and church leaders are being confronted with the reality of survivors in pain from traumatic experiences and those with the least power in society and the most vulnerable, which are women, children, and elderly. So nearly every day we had different speaking engagements, people lined up for prayers, At the prisons, and we anointed them afterwards. One small church, I had prepared a message for adults, but after arriving, realized there were mostly just children there, so I switched my message to the Good Samaritan in Luke 10 on extravagant love, asking them, "Who is my neighbor?" And I gave the message from Scripture, and then a modern-day domestic violence message, which is very interesting in how the pastor in the church, oh, I have to do my sermon, and I don't have time to speak to you now, so. You know, the woman was shunned. And we were touched when the young people sang and danced danced for us. Afterwards, I gave each person um, that danced a book, one of my books, and one to the pastor as well as my support group. Everywhere we went, they served us lunch afterwards. It was amazing. I had heard prior to going about a remote mountain group of people where many of the village people were plagued by the occult darkness and demons. One of the villagers wanted to know more about the gospel, so we sold one of his chickens and bought a radio to hear the message of the gospel, and because of his faith, everyone's lives were changed. That was pretty incredible. So three days after arriving, we drove about two and a half hours into the mountains in the pastor's truck, packed with my husband and many in the back cab, to go to a funeral the very next day after I spoke. Now, funerals there are about a week long. There were seven to eight hundred people at the memorial service. Churches have open windows, dogs come in and sit in the front scratching. Um, it's very, very, very remote. After the burial, we, we were served lunch, and the reason they have such long funeral services over and over is because it takes days to get there. And the following day, we were brought by a prison chaplain to go to the Ma'a Jail that houses 500 women inmates. And they sang for us an incredible song, wearing brightly colored scarves. It's not like our prisons. They have gates that they let you in, and then you see these brightly colored cottages that house maybe 15 people that sleep on mats. And when we were done speaking, They lined up and wanted us to pray with them and anoint their heads. One elderly woman told us she took the wrap for her daughter. And then they asked us to come to each cottage and anoint the cottages and anoint the inmates. And that was incredible because we saw, it was sad. We saw gays all housed in one small cottage. And with the butch haircuts, you know, you knew. And then we met at the next day, we went to the Ma'a jail where 2,000 male inmates are housed in an old, old prison. We had to walk across gangplanks to go past the armed guards. I spoke on demons and unclean spirits, how evil can lie so close to truth. Now that can also relate to us with lies versus truth in my support group that I teach, things that our parents and grandparents or uncles have done to us and said to us. And I related that to Mark 5 and Luke 10. During my message, a young man knelt on my feet, weeping as the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart. Then on Sunday, our jeepney broke down. Now, jeepneys are like old, old buses with open uh, windows. They, if it rains, you can slide the plastic down. And it was during a really torrential rainstorm. We were going to this mountain church. country. Actually, it was a jungle mountain church. And it was a bumpy, uh, muddy road. And the jeepney broke down. So we had to walk in our sandals probably about, I don't know, a half a mile. And on the way to church, we saw a little boy and his brother naked outside their hut washing and catching the rain for their bath. So to go to a a country like this was, you know, unbelievable. To be able to experience it every day. The next day, the the prison chaplain invited us to the largest government hospital in Davao City where I shared my PowerPoint presentation on codependency with 250 nurses, doctors, social workers and police. Then we were treated like celebrities afterwards. They wanted to take our pictures, which was kind of crazy. And imagine our shock to see sick people on stretchers in the hallway and in old hospital iron beds going back with the infrastructure, going back about 60 years. Maternity ward was filled with about 30 beds lined up next to each other. Families can't uh get out of the hospital unless they pay their bill. Many don't have the money and the people have to bring in food to pay for their meals. So these are some of the things that we experienced in the Philippines and it was such a culture shock when we arrived to see most Filipinos living in poverty and have very few conveniences that we take for granted. Some days we'd wake up with no water at all in the mission house. And we had a huge barrel right next to the shower with a bucket that we um, could dump over our cold water, dump over our body. And it was was a good place to stay, sort of. (laughs) The rain got in the house. But um, their house crossed the road from a small bakery where the men were up all night smoking and packing bread on their motorcycles in big baskets. So Bernice and I wore earplugs with the crowing roosters in cages. I think they have fights, the roosters. Cats meowing on the roof and the dogs barking all night. So our first impression, going to the Philippines, actually going to an outside restaurant, to use a dirty, wet bathroom with absolutely no toilet seat with just the black rim and water all over the floor and a small bucket to flush. And it's the same in most of the churches with, you know, no toilet seats. We brought toilet seats to the orphans. And one day a woman met me outside the bathroom, seeing I was an American, and asked me for some Kleenex before she went in to use the bathroom.
0: I would imagine that unless you've actually visited that um environment or uh-huh. a situation like that or you know or you've lived in that in those types of conditions It's hard to even fathom what that's like on a daily basis. I mean, you were there for um a couple of months. So you got a really, you know, huge taste of what was going on. Um, but to even just understand that for as many problems as there are in this country today, and and I'm talking in the US because that's, you Mm -hmm. know, where we are. Um, you know, for all the things going on politically and in the religious world and just all the problems there are for for us to be able to go and, and and just have a clean bathroom somewhere or to have right. clean running water or, or, you know, to have a roof over your head. I mean, whether you live, right. you know, it doesn't matter where you live to have that. And then to understand that, you know, even in your darkest, toughest day living in the US or, you know, in some modern age society mm-hmm. place, to know that there are people all over the world struggling to just take a bath or to find a clean bathroom or having to wait till it rains to take a shower, like it just... It blows mm-hmm. my mind, and it it fills me with with gratitude for for being able to live in a place where we have those those types of things that we probably often take for granted. Quite honestly, I mean, just well, not only that, Matt, but
1: there's a war going on in the Philippines, and ISIS mm-hmm. was in the mountains. The youth group um, trip had to be canceled one day because ISIS was a threat uh, when they were going to go to the or- orphanage. So they had to do their skits in the church in the Barnard Christian Academy. And uh, we had heard that ISIS had killed two workers during our time in the jungle. Um, but God kept us safe. Uh, a couple of my kids were scared for us. But the Filipino Rodrigo Duterte president stand on drugs and drug dealers is that he has them shot rather than send them to prison. 100,000 have been killed by um people that go out and kill the drug dealers but you know what i don't think too many people know this i looked it up online he has admitted that he was bullied and sexually abused as a child by a priest shooting the college student that bullied him he didn't kill him but he was traumatized by the priest that he hates catholics he hates priests he he grew up catholic he said but my god is not the catholic type of god so um well, another thing that amazed us was um, with the traffic, trafficking and child porn. It is so rampant. Street children came around our car every every day, or I mean our truck, risking prostitution and human trafficking. Seventy-five percent of children work the streets begging for food. Their parents aren't anywhere. They're banging on our truck asking for money. So we, we had heard about that. We went to the store and bought them stickers and can uh little toys that we brought with us. And um, I had a little sponge with me and I had fake tattoos so that I had them put their hand out and I put a fake tattoo on them as well as the orphans when we were going in the jeepney. And uh, you know, the things we saw were armed guards everywhere, even outside McDonald's, but in a way that was good because they, we felt they kept us safe. So, Other things we saw were cages of pigs sold on the streets and hairless dogs from eating fish with bones from the garbage. And um, traffic was horrendous. You couldn't get anywhere quickly at all. And uh, many of the people going on the trucks were hanging off the back of them. I mean, there might have been 20 or 30 people in the back of the cab of the truck. One day we saw a moped with seven passengers with a little baby squished in between. They have poor street vendor squatters setting up their, they can set up anywhere, setting up their poorly built stalls with tin shacks on the streets, swatting flies from the fish they caught. So the main diet is fish with eyeballs, and, the, and we heard that the eyeballs are a delicacy. <laughs>
0: i 'll probably let that one alone that 's okay though, but hey, I mean, if anybody listening likes it more, more power to you it 's all good, but I want to get into a little bit yet, um, as far as some of the big uh, media outlets that you 've been able to share your story on, but before that, just if you could just take a couple minutes and just share like how how this experience changed you after being mm-hmm. there for a couple of months and just and, and seeing how that part of the world lives and seeing how your message received. What did that change for you as you came back to the U.S.? And, you know, how how did that help you to maybe share your message more? and
1: Right. Well, it gave me much more compassion. But, you know, not everybody has compassion. Compassion is a gift that God gave me. Um, I've heard the soul would have no rainbow, had the eyes, no tears. So compassion is feeling uh, empathy and getting inside somebody else's shoes that have experienced your pain. and. Going to the orphanage, we fell in love with the father's house, 13 children that were there. They have two house parents. We had to take our truck across the barge to Santa Island in the jungle and drove where 13 orphans reside with their house parents. And Pastor Paul is known all over the Philippines, even by the drug lords. Now, this, he told us this before we went there because I said, is it safe there for us to go if we need to rescue these kids? He said, Barb, drug lords run when they see the volunteers coming in because they see your guardian angel. Now, that is crazy. And when I heard that, I thought, wow, God does give us angels. We need to understand that he will protect us and not be afraid. So he takes children and whole families off the streets who've been victimized by violence and brings them to the orphanage instead of having them sold and of course, a couple of them have escaped, but they have to go the, through the police and the parents and try to find them before they can actually go rescue them. One orphan, probably around six years old, had no birth birth certificate, so he didn't know how old he was. And they walked to school and they raised sheep and goats and pigs and uh, bulls and cows. And my husband, Wayne, uh, took a course on uh, welding. Before he went to the Philippines to fix the school's fire escape, and he spent a lot of time at the father's house as well, building pens for the sheep or goats that escaped, and um, you know that was that was our experience. So Bernice cried for the first three days she was there. She was she was so her heart was ripped out, let's say, by what she saw, and um, we did a domestic skit violent skit for the orphans involving them in the skit uh, called Janet's Story, where we put one of my t-shirts, I scripture t-shirts, and we gave them each one at the end. Uh, We asked for a volunteer, and a little girl, about 13, um, came up and sat on the chair, and we covered her with these t-shirts as we put the shame on her. Bernice read a line of the skit. I read a line. One of the kids came up and put a uh, t-shirt over her liken it to shame. And then halfway to the skit, we tell the answers. Um, Somebody went to her pastor and said, I've been violated by my husband. He said, you just need to forgive him. And that's not the answer. So she finally found answers. And then they take the the t-shirts off of them. And in the end, they each got a book, except for, I think, the very, very youngest. And they each got the t-shirt to wear. So we were engrossed in playing volleyball and tennis table tennis and various types of games with them um, each day. And we took them to the mall to buy them uh, new sneakers and new schools. Every weekend they have a shoe distribution um, day on a Saturday at the mall where Pastor Paul's different congregations from different churches come in the jeepneys. They go pick these kids up, and we brought them to the mall to get new shoes. Now, the kids don't know their sizes of shoes. So can you imagine how it was for the people uh that were helping us and us to try to fit the shoes on? Of course they all wanted Barbie shoes, Barbie doll shoes, and we couldn't afford those. They had to get the plain black uh shoes for the school.
0: <laughs> wow, but just, just to be able to get the shoes, like it just had to be, you know,
1: mm.
0: again, something that, you know, so often we we take for granted here of, you know, well, I need shoes, well I'll just go buy shoes. Yeah. But and I don't know. Yes, I know. Right. Yeah. I mean, just the amount of lives that you that you affected in such a positive way on that trip is just seems astounding. Um, And so uh, lastly, um, you've been able to share your story on some uh, pretty big media outlets, you know, on television and, you know, other places. So share a little bit about that and how they came to hear about your story and how that's been able to really kind of further your message and your book and everything.
1: Okay, um, yeah, you can go on my website, listen to thecry.org, and see my TV interviews, including the Dr. Oz show um, with 20 survivors um, of sexual assault. I was invited on his show uh, back uh, a summer, summer ago. It was aired, and you can see that if you click it on my website. But in the Philippines, big doors opened. I couldn't believe it. Two huge TV shows opened up to us. Um, the last Sunday we were there, I, I was invited to preach on Channel of Life TV live show using my sermon, The First Family, Adam and Eve, The Fall, Shame, Blame, and Redemption. Now, a lot of people don't know it unless they read it in um, the first uh, couple chapters of Genesis that Adam was right there with Eve, and he could have prevented her from eating the out of the tree that God told them they were not allowed to eat. He was there with her. He could have said, "No, no, no, no." God told us not to, but he didn't. And then blame came in. So I weaved my story along with the sermon. And afterwards, there were probably 50 people or so that came up, and and the pastor served us lunch afterwards with a Filipino um, cook, and the head of the Philippines youth. Um, And violence prevention and trafficking in Manila flew to hear me speak and was hired by President Duterte and interviewed Bernice and me on her cable TV show after I preached, had lunch, and then this interview. During the interview, a torrential rainstorm came down and water was pouring into the church, like I said, the open windows in the mountains this was and i gave her a copy of my book to give to president detarte it's like giving president trump my book right (laughs) and his wife is a christian so i would love to go back i don't want to go back free i would go back and maybe work with her i would love to do that sometime and uh, but my biggest opportunity maybe was a film crew flew from manila to cbn asia From CBN Asia, the 700 Club show, and drove about a half an hour to an hour to our mission house for an hour-long interview with me and with Bernice separately, editing it into the four-minute YouTube movie of our lives. And this can be seen. um, I put it on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, and um, on my website as as well. But that one, I had never ever said what I did on that TV show, so you'll have to go on it, 4-Minute YouTube, Barbara Joy Hansen. Uh if you put my name or sexual abuse, all my stuff will come up. Um, I'd never said what I did on that interview before. He kept pulling more and more out of me, and I, you know, you never know when you have an interview what questions you're going to be asked, and uh, when he actually asked me what the pastor did to me, I blurted it out. And, um, so you, you know, I I want you to see it. And then in the end of the, of that interview, my voice got so strong and so courageous and I couldn't wait to come back and hear it and see what I actually had said or what he had even put on it. I didn't even know he had put that on.
0: Your story, Barb, is just—it's amazing. I'm so glad that you were able to come on the podcast today and talk some about your experiences, and really just shed light on some of the things that you've been through that—that is affecting so many people today. So, I'm glad that you were here. And before we wrap this up, if you want to let everybody know where they can find your book again, that would be great, um, because I would definitely recommend everybody to to uh, check it out. And of course, you can also read some of what. Um, Barb wrote on my blog um, a couple of years ago, which you can check out over on Surviving My Past. I'll put a link in in the show notes as well. But yes, Barb, thank you again so much. Please let us know where, where we can find the book and everything. That would be great.
1: Well, you know, we're helping each other when we do this, so it's it's uh, it's a win win, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you can um, email me at bobbyjoyhansen at juno dot com. That's b o b b i e j o y h a n s e n at JUNO.com or my publisher. This is my third publishing. I've published 5,000 books and we're doing very well. You can uh, go to rostrumpublishing.com R-O-S-S-T-R-U-M-P-U-B-L-I-S-H-I-N-G.com and get my book. Uh, They're $20 plus shipping and handling depending Well, in the United States, it's $4.50 for shipping and handling. You can also get my um, Beauty Out of Ashes support material going on my website, listentothecry.org. My book is also available um, at um, listentothecry.org and on Amazon. And we also have an e-book now.
0: Amazing, Barb. Thanks so much for coming on Beyond Your Past, for sharing your story, for being a voice, uh, for helping to inspire others, for taking your message uh, overseas. And it's an honor to know you, and I'm glad that you were here today.
1: Thank you, Matt. God bless you.
0: Thanks for listening to Beyond Your Past, part of the Mental Health News Radio Network. Information shared on this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for or supersedes professional medical help or mental health counseling. Thank you again to my sponsors, inlpcenter.org and Daily Recovery Support. I hope you'll consider checking them out as they've joined forces to help keep the lights on here at the podcast and help beyond your past reach as many as possible with a message of hope. If you'd like to learn more about working with me as your coach or if you're curious about what life coaching is and how it might be right for you, then head on over to beyondyourpast.com and claim your free one-hour session where we can talk about the struggles in your life in the areas of anxiety and trauma recovery and see if coaching might be a great fit for you. Thanks again for listening, and I do hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share it with all your friends. See you next time.